0: Church, open your Bibles to Psalm 127. Uh, we uh, are unfortunately taking a, just a little break from our series in Colossians. Uh, Tim uh, was ill this morning, so he was unable to preach. So I got a text, Rick, Rick and I got a text at like 7.30 this morning, and oh, we got the news that Tim was uh, just, uh, again, suffering either from a cold or something or from the effects of the, um, his booster. And so, uh, so we're taking a little detour today, but still talking about family. So, so we need to just lift up Tim in prayer and that the Lord would be merciful and kind and sustain him. So I'm going to just pray for that before I even get started here. Father in heaven, we, we just look to you, Lord, in this pandemic, in this chaos, in this time of uncertainty, Lord, that you would draw near and provide, provide for Tim provide for this church, strengthen us according to your might and power by your Spirit. I pray that you would lift up our spirits, lift up our gaze so that we would see more of Jesus than we do of our illness or trials or circumstances that we are all walking through, that we are all facing at this moment. Lord, meet with us as you have continued to meet with us, as you are faithful. As we're saying this morning, you are a faithful God. You will provide. You will build. So we just call upon you to do that which you have promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, 100 years ago in this country, there were about 127 births per 1,000 women. And in 2014, it was about half that rate, 63 per 1,000. And the pandemic has pushed the fast-forward button on so many trends we're seeing right now, such as the use of technology and going virtual. And yes, even the declining birth rate has plummeted even further. I'm a numbers guy, so I love just like studying statistics and data. I read somewhere that a civilization needs a replacement rate of 2.1 children per woman, and we are trending in the United States at 1.7 and declining. In our popular culture... Children are often viewed as too expensive or a hassle. And most people would rather spend their time and money on a vacation or a car or a boat or somehow to increase their standard of living. But the irony is that long-term, less people in a civilization means a lower standard of living. It means a shrinking workforce. It means lost productivity. And the elderly suffer through reduced pensions and Social Security payments. According to Current Trends, one report projected that Social Security could run out of money in as little as 12 years, 12 years from now. I'm so grateful to see families at our church value children and want to grow their families. But we have to realize that this makes us increasingly countercultural. This makes us weird in this culture. Your friends, your relatives, your neighbors aren't having kids, and if they are, It's maybe one or no more than two. But what does God say about children, about families? What does God have to say about stable families, societies, and building a civilization? Let's look to Psalm 127, starting from verse 1. Psalm chapter 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father in heaven, we pray that you would speak to us by your word. Give us ears to hear, and most of all, faith, the eyes of faith to see our Lord and Savior and to labor in building our homes, in building our church with our ultimate trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in this passage, God calls us to, to build, to work, to establish a family, and by extension, the family, the household of God, but trust the Lord as the true builder. God calls us to build, work, and establish, but to trust the Lord as the true builder. The Lord is our true builder. So we're going to look at three different questions as we think about our home building, our church, even, and by extension, our church building projects. Where is your ultimate trust, what is your work ethic, and then what happens in the end? Where is your ultimate trust, what is your work ethic, and what happens in the end? So number one, where is your ultimate trust? Where is our ultimate trust? Let's think about the different crises we're facing. This pandemic that's now resurging, once again, a third wave, Omicron variant. The death and losses that each of us are experiencing. Maybe you're experiencing a crisis of faith yourself. The pandemic, the isolation, the quarantine have all just compounded our other problems. So it's not just stress or relational conflicts, but stress and relational conflicts during a pandemic. And then the need for all of our families to pay the bills and put food on the table, Maybe it's what I just mentioned, the the fact that Social Security could run out of money in 12 years, and you were counting on that. Psalm 127 speaks to our daily continual struggles. Psalm 127 is placed in a section called the Psalms of Ascents. Those would be Psalm 121 to Psalm 134, that little section in the book of Psalms. These Psalms were written for times of crisis. The people of God used these Psalms to guide their worship after being exiled. You might recall from redemptive history that Israel lost the land of Canaan, the land that was promised to them by Abraham. They lost that land through disobedience. So the palace was burned down, the temple, the city walls, the entire city was forsaken and left desolate. But after 70 years, the people are returning from exile, from Babylon. They're returning from Babylon back to Israel. And now they're struggling to survive. They're trying to rebuild their temple, their homes, their livelihoods. And during their times of worship, they would have read something like Psalm 127. They would have read something encouraging them during this time of rebuilding. Verse one, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Those returning from exile face a similar situation to our own. As we navigate what's been happening, many of us feel like we're in a rebuilding stage, don't we? A number of families didn't make the move to Prospect Park. We're still feeling those losses of dear friends, brothers, and sisters. Many of us feel like this church is going through a rebuilding phase. But what did these exiles look to as they were rebuilding the temple, the walls, their homes, their livelihoods, they looked to God's faithfulness. They looked to God's faithfulness that God is the ultimate builder. God is the ultimate builder. The reality that the God who makes promises would most certainly fulfill them, as we're saying this morning. King David, you remember, he wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Instead, Yahweh, the God of Israel, promised that he would build David a house, a royal destiny, a royal dynasty, a throne that would last forever. And it wasn't David who would build that original temple. It was his son Solomon who would build Yahweh's temple. And this was fulfilled in the book of 1 Kings, where we see a transition from Davidic kingship to, from David to Solomon and then temple building. The exiles used Psalm 127, written by Solomon, to look back to God's faithfulness. And this psalm call, would have called them, as they were building, as they were laying the foundation of the temple, as they were, would have been later on rebuilding those city walls, to look to Yahweh. And so church, let us do that now. Let's do that once again. The Lord has been faithful to Risen Hope, faithful to your families, to mine, faithful to this church So let us remember and remind ourselves once again that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And as they were rebuilding, as the Israelites returning from exile were rebuilding homes and the temple, crisis after crisis would erupt. There would be enemies opposing the rebuilding. There would be hostility. There would be limited resources. And so who do we look to? We're once again reminded unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So who do we look to? What is our ultimate trust? Psalm 121, the beginning of the Psalms of Ascents, the people ask that very question. Where does my help come from? The answer is, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who doesn't slumber, who doesn't sleep. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. I'm reminded of Psalm 33, where no matter how great your army, how great Israel's army, or how great its strength, or its horses, and today we might say no matter how great your savings or your health, those things can't save you. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. And so what is our posture? Do we know that all of our efforts to build our families, to build this church, are vain apart from Him? Do we work in a posture of total dependence upon Him? I fear that we, I fear that I, am often so self-sufficient. And verse 2 continues this contrast between successful building versus failure. Look at the contrast. Look at verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. In the Hebrew, there's a rapid sequence of verbs in verse 2 that is a bit lost in the translation. But if you were to read it in the Hebrew, you would have read it like, rise up, go to rest, eat. Eat. It would have come off, landed on your ear as, rise up, go rest, eat. They would have felt like a chicken running around with its head cut off, reading that verse too, That's how it would have landed. We're, as exiles, we're darting to and fro in this mad dash. We're going from thing to thing, from commitment to commitment, harassed and facing opposition. And we can feel that way as well. We can feel that we're, we're juggling life and work and kids And family and ministry were dashing around trying to keep up with life. But we see the opposite of frenzied labor in the last part of verse 2. Look with me, the last part of verse 2. For he gives to his beloved sleep. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Commentators disagree on how to interpret this word sleep. In the ESV, sleep is a gift from the Lord. So with this option, option one, God gives the gift of sleep, the gift of rest and tranquility. Despite the turmoils of the day, God gives you sleep at night. You can actually go to bed and sleep. That's the first way to understand sleep. The second way from the NAS, sleep is when God gives. So with this second option, God gives to you while you sleep. Sleep is the time that God chooses to give to you, to bless you. So in the NASB, it says, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. So God gives work and success and food, everything that we need while we sleep. That's the second option. The second option highlights God's sovereignty, that success is ultimately dependent on God and ultimately out of our control. I think of the farmer in Mark chapter 4, in the parable, where the farmer sows his seed and then sleeps. He rises night and day. The seed sprouts, though he knows not how. He sows and then he sleeps. I personally prefer slightly I, I prefer that second option because it puts God at the forefront of blessing us while we're sleeping. And there could be here, now you have to remember Solomon's the one who wrote this psalm. There could be a subtle reference here to Solomon's dream. You remember while Solomon slept, God comes to him in a dream and asks him to make a wish. Ask for whatever you want. So while Solomon slept, God made him the wisest king of the earth. And this ought to encourage us, church, to put our ultimate trust in the Lord who is our provider. Any success in life or work or family or ministry comes from the Lord. John the Baptist said, a man cannot receive even one thing unless it comes down to him from heaven. So as the exiles were returning to Israel, as they were rebuilding their temple, rebuilding their lives and their homes, the wall, we do see the importance of children, importance of the next generation. And that brings us to the heart of this psalm and what God has to say about children and building healthy civilizations. God says in verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. So we see God's perspective on children. They're not a hassle. They're not an expense. They're desired. They're a blessing. In ancient Israel, in the inheritance that God promised to his people was a salvific gift of land to every tribe, clan, and family. God promised that he would give them the land, the land of Canaan. But an interesting twist here, we see that children are the inheritance. Children are the blessing. Children. Children are needed, as you think about it, for the long-term survival of the people of God. And God's intent has always been, since Genesis, to to bless and multiply for humanity to fill the earth and to subdue it, for the earth to be filled with glorious image bearers. So let's look at verse 5 then. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with him. And uh, the psalm probably isn't talking about one or two children. Imagine a warrior going into battle. The, the warrior's getting ready. He's not just packing a minimum number of arrows. He's, thinking, he's not thinking, I don't want too many arrows. He's making sure he has plenty. I can't help but think of the Marvel superhero Hawkeye. Who's a dead shot with a bow and arrow. Every time you see him in a Marvel movie fighting the bad guys, his quiver is full. And so we see this imagery uh, filling this quiver, fashioning arrows. It gives us a picture of extending our influence, fashioning the next generation. Again, whether the Lord sovereignly appoints you to have one or two or even more children Uh, The principle is that as the warrior launches out his arrows, we extend the reach of the gospel, launching out the next generation of disciples. And we do that by bringing up our children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. The gospel is about making disciples of all nations, but we must begin in our own home. And I pray that this passage would give us faith not just to have children, but to train them up, to raise them up, to instruct them in the truths of God's Word, in the truths of the Gospel. And I want to encourage uh, parents, families, if you're not already doing family devotions, I want to encourage you to prioritize uh, the reading and study of God's Word together. I want to encourage you to do maybe something like what Teresa and I do at home, where it's three simple steps, something I've probably mentioned in the past, where we read, pray, and sing. Read, pray, and sing, where we read a chapter of the Bible together as a family, and then we take some time to pray, and then if time allows, we we sing, and that allows us to just consistently go to God's Word to read it together, to let it shape our minds and our hearts, to talk about our need for God's Word, our need for the gospel, our need to hear the voice of God, and then just to pray and to bring our burdens. May our children see us as parents bringing our needs, our cares, our burdens to the Lord, and may our children see us joyfully singing the praises of our great God and King on a regular basis. Now, you don't have to do that every single day, but if you have a goal of doing it every single day and then you have to miss a day or two because the alarm clock rang late, things took longer than expected, it's okay. You don't have to be legalistic. But uh, I want to just encourage you to to pursue that principle to, to read God's word, to pray, to sing, to make the family altar a central part of who you are, that we are a family built upon God and His Word, upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are so committed to that that this is a priority for us. So again, I want to hold that out for, for each family here with children that, uh, to, to raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And I want to speak for a moment to, to singles in our church family who uh, may aspire to have a family or even families in our midst who are struggling with infertility and don't have children we want you to know that we grieve with you and grieve for you. We carry your burdens on our hearts, and we pray for you. We pray for you. But more important than that, the Lord knows your tears, your cries, and your struggles. He knows it better than any human being could ever know. The Lord knows, and he wants to draw near and show himself to be your ultimate treasure, treasure even as he may choose to withhold blessings for a season. We don't know his mind. We don't know his, exactly how he plans, for what he plans for each one of us, but let us trust in his heart for his people. So this brings us all back to the question, the first question, where is your ultimate trust for each one of us? And in verse 3, we see this key phrase, from the Lord. Once again, the Lord. So successful building and establishing and working in the home, outside the home, it depends on God. It was true then and it's true now. Theologian John Calvin wrote that children are not the fruit of chance, but a gift that comes from God alone. Not the fruit of chance, but a gift that comes from God alone. And Psalm 128 makes that explicit. A wife and children, they are a blessing. Those are blessings from the Lord. Verse 5 says, Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And in life, all of us are tempted to plow ahead in our own strength without the Lord at the center. I do that constantly. I do that daily. And we can tell we're doing that when we realize we're doing a lot of planning and working but not as much praying not as much searching the scriptures and if we're doing that we're more concerned about planning and working but haven't really devoted the time to to praying and searching out the scriptures then we we may very well might be laboring in vain we might very well be staying awake in vain so the challenge for me the challenge for us is do we look to the lord as the one who builds as the one who works, the one who provides, the one who provides ultimately not just for your family, but for the church family. The challenge comes when things happen that we don't expect. What happens when things don't go according to plan? Our plans for life, our plans for ministry, are we open to redirection? Are we open to where God might be leading us? Two years ago, we would have never imagined moving from Drexel Hill to Prospect Park. It was not even on our radar screen, and yet God had different plans for us. And so God calls us to ultimately trust in Him. But then that begs the question, does that mean our efforts don't matter? Can we just kick back, just trust God? Well, God's going to do it. God's sovereign. God's all-powerful. Does that open the door for laziness? Well, that brings us to question number two. What is your work ethic? What is your work ethic? Psalm 127 doesn't deny personal responsibility. We have to labor to build. It's hard, physical work. The wall was rebuilt under the hard work and leadership of Nehemiah. The temple was rebuilt under the hard work and encouragement of prophets and other leaders like Haggai. Families are built they don't raise themselves. A watchman can't sleep on the job. At the as the at the approach of the enemy army, they have to blow the trumpet. They gotta be on guard, they they gotta be ready to sound the alarm if it's necessary. And if he fails, the city could be lost. So that means we have to work to earn a living. I remind I'm reminded that Paul t- teaches the Thessalonian church that he who shall not work shall not eat. In verse 2 we see that God's people they rise early and go late to rest. And because of the fall our work now is anxious toil. It's anxious toil. There's thorns, there's opposition, there's frustration in our work. And that's we have to realize that and remember that. As we go about the building work that we're called to do, that building your home will be hard. Building the church Will be hard. So let us build with all of our hearts, knowing that we don't labor on our own, that our ultimate trust is in God. So, where is our ultimate trust? What is our work ethic? And finally, what happens in the end? What happens in the end? The end is more important than the beginning. Solomon started well, but ended poorly. We know that there was the fulfillment of that initial promise, right? He built the temple and he began the Davidic dynasty. But Solomon was ensnared by wealth and women and eventually worshipped other gods. His ultimate trust wasn't in in Yahweh. It wasn't in the God of Israel. He worshipped idols. So ironically, Solomon, who wrote this psalm, ironically, Solomon failed to live up to the very psalm that he wrote, Solomon built and toiled in vain. You remember from the book of Ecclesiastes how he looks at everything he did and he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. He looked at all his projects, accomplishments. They didn't satisfy him in the light of death. Well, how about the next generation? Well, Solomon failed to shape the next generation. Rehoboam, his son, was a crooked arrow. He was foolish. It was under Rehoboam's leadership that the kingdom was torn in two, with Israel as the northern kingdom and Judah as their southern kingdom. And Solomon failed to drive away God's enemies. In fact, because of Solomon's faithlessness, Yahweh raised up enemies against Solomon. So we see how Solomon was a failure. And then later on, fast forward hundreds of years later, the returning exiles they rebuild the temple, but, they're, but they lament. They lament because many of them had seen the former glory of Solomon's temple and what they had rebuilt was, was, was a shell, was a shadow of the temple's former glory. They didn't see the full glory of God's restoration purposes and promises. Haggai, though, would promise that the later glory of the temple would be greater than its former glory. But even in that, the people of God wept when they saw the rebuilt temple. And so we fast forward as we look at the failures of Solomon, as we look at the failure of the returning exiles, to the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who redefines work. Christ came and he would redefine work. He succeeded where Adam and then Solomon failed. We know Jesus labored with his hands. He was a faithful worker, a carpenter. But then after he entered into ministry, he cared for his people. He healed on the Sabbath. He, w- he lived out the life of perfection. And in, h- in our union with him, we enjoy that perfection that Jesus labored for. Jesus came to do his father's will perfectly perfectly. Hebrews 3 teaches us that Jesus is the ultimate builder of God's house, and that house is a metaphor for God's people. Jesus achieves success where Solomon and the returning exiles failed. We know that Davidic dynasty failed under the old kings. After the exile, after that last king of Judah went into exile into Babylon, no other king would arise. Until Jesus. Jesus is that restoration of the Davidic dynasty and kingship. And in our union with Jesus, because we belong to Jesus by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, in our union with Jesus, we are royal sons and daughters. We are the true beloved, the adopted into the family of God, the new creation. That's what we enjoy now in Christ in a fallen world. And yet we still feel the effects of the fall. We still know it's a broken world. We still feel uh, how often uh, our labors feel like they're in vain. Our work feels like it's in vain. We feel like we might raise our children in vain. There's anxious toil because the entire creation groans. But we must look forward, church. In Christ, His resurrection guarantees our future resurrection and final victory. This life, yes, is filled with vanity and futility, but this life isn't it. We're looking forward to a new body, a final resurrection, the new heavens and the new earth. We know that Jesus has defeated all of our enemies once and for all. So then we can say with the Apostle Paul and the prophets, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? And that final victory, knowing what lies in store for us in our glorious future, that empowers us to work hard today even as we encounter thorns and hostility and at times futility. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight calls us to be steadfast, to be immovable, to always abound in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord our labors are not in vain. So church, Let us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let us raise up the next generation to know and follow Jesus. Let us work hard to build this local church in Prospect Park because it is God who is at work. His grace impels us to work. He has first worked for us, so now we joyfully work for Him, knowing that He is the ultimate builder. That's why Paul... Paul could say, I worked harder than any of them, any of the other apostles. Paul could boast that. But you remember what he said after that. But it was not I, but the grace of Christ in me. So church, may that be our aspiration. May we work harder than any of them all, but may it not be I, but the grace of Christ in us, knowing that Jesus Christ is the ultimate builder and his success is ensured at the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are facing headwinds. We are facing trials. We are facing difficulties. Lord, our church is battered and struggling on so many different fronts. I pray, God, that you would assure us once again by your Spirit that, Jesus, you are the builder, that the church is in your hands, that, Jesus, you have been doing this for 2,000 years, and you know what you're doing. Give us the assurance God, that you, in your sovereignty, have good purposes for your church, for your bride. And knowing those good purposes, knowing your heart, knowing the future, help us to labor hard. Help us to work hard. Help us to double down and be all in to all that you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, church, as we go this week, uh, please stay safe as you hit the roads. There's supposed to be some freezing rain. Uh, Let us be a church of prayer. I want to encourage you, as many as possible, uh, come to our Zoom prayer meeting on Wednesday. Let us show forth our faith through our prayers at home with our children together as a church body. Let us be a people of prayer, knowing that God is our ultimate builder. Amen.